This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. We are headed into the wilderness, Father Jeffrey. I hope you've packed everything that you need, some trail mix, some hiking shoes, we are diving into the wilderness, or it says in the, uh, some of the gospel accounts, we are being driven into the wilderness by the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, sounds that's, like a good place for a couple of Canadians to go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we have plenty of wilderness in our country. Uh, we have, so our topic is the wilderness. And, you know, in this series of your liturgical Bible, you know, where does wilderness come into play in the scriptures? And how does wilderness actually come into play in our liturgy, in our life, in the, in the in the church as well. So wilderness, you know, the first thing that I think most of us would think of when we think of wilderness and the story of the Bible is probably something like the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. We might have the images of what, who was it? Charlton Heston um, Mm -hmm. in the famous 10 commandments movie out in the wilderness. Um, For younger listeners, you might have the, the animated movie Prince of Egypt in your mind of Israel going into the wilderness, but I think we have this sense that the Israelites didn't do too well in the wilderness, right? This wilderness being a place of um, the margin, the outside, a, a place of perhaps testing, right? Where things did not necessarily go well with the uh, the the Israelites. Um, but it's also connected with this theme of exile as well, right? Which is kind of one of the foundational themes within the scriptures. You know, Adam and Eve, they get exiled out of paradise, right? And then you have these stories of the Israelites going into the wilderness and having to stay there for a long time. Uh, yeah. The wilderness, Father Jeffrey, is, is that where your mind goes to the first thing with the Israelites in the desert as well? Sure. And I mean, it is kind of fundamental to the way the whole scriptures come together to think about uh, those times of wilderness and exile and, and so forth. It really it's as you say, it's the time of, of testing, but it's ultimately the time of drawing nearest to God. And therefore, as I say, it's kind of formative to the way that the narrative of the scriptures, you know, comes together. We find from the beginning stories to the end, it's all about this kind of one thing, a journey from, from exile to deliverance, but one that's dependent upon learning to trust in, in God, right? So the first human beings fail to trust in God. They get exiled into wilderness Abraham trusts God, goes from a place of, of exile and wilderness, uh, you know, connected with, with Babylon, which will ultimately be a place of, of real exile for, for the Israelites themselves. But he travels back towards Canaan that becomes the promised land. But over and over again, there seems to be this departure into exile to wilderness and then this motif of, of return from exile. And ultimately, it's what our Lord Jesus Christ is able to do for us as human beings as a whole, which is to ultimately express what God wants out of humanity, which is to say, trust in him, complete utter dependence upon him. And that brings humanity back from an ultimate exile into an ultimate, you know, kingdom and a place where God, you know, dwells with us. So over and over again in the scriptures, these ideas are, you know, are played with, but I suppose even more fundamentally with the word wilderness, it's important to maybe sort of set that straight in terms of biblical terms, because I mean, I joked about it's something Canadians should 
you know, often head out into. But, you know, funnily enough, you know, that becomes a bit confusing, I think, for for, for people, because I remember once giving a, a kind of biblical talk on, on wilderness and the themes, of, you know, around that, some of the things that might come up in this podcast right in terms of you know places of testing and and of, of learning to trust in god of, of learning to rely on, on god's grace where there's scarcity and you know ultimately you know wanting to return you know from exile to home and, and people you know one, one person specifically commented at the end oh wilderness that's a great place i i love to go out into the wilderness to get refreshed you know i you know I live in an, in the urban environment it's very busy and everything the wilderness is a place of peace and quiet and, and you know i get to reconnect with nature and everything thinking okay true enough you know if you're thinking about you know canada's national parks and about canoeing and portaging and you know living with snapping turtles for you know for some time as you camp out under the stars but that's kind of not what the bible means in terms of 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 wilderness right there are various words in the hebrew that get translated as wilderness and you know, none of them are particularly appealing. You know, it's not about, you know, a back to nature, you know, kind of existence and everything. The the main word in Hebrew is, um, you know, midbar, which more or less just means an uninhabited land, you know, where, you know, nothing much is going on. There's not agriculture, there's not settlement, there's not, you know, the, the kinds of uh, resources that you need for, for daily living. It's a kind of, it's a, it's an environment that in which, everything is you know on your list of necessities right everything from water to to food to to shelter and that sort of thing it's it's a kind of wasteland in in a, in a way um although you know some of those are you know they're not necessarily straight out deserts although you know some parts of the of the ancient you know near east were were quite desert and you know very much like what you saw in the film but uh it could also just be you know pasture land that that is kind of arid um there's actually another word in hebrew called um araba which is um uh, they're kind of steppe country you know little hills and often also translated as desert as desert or desolate land that sort of thing um there's also uh the word for just wasteland is is chorba, uh, and then there's another word in the Hebrew for a land without water, which is yeshimon. So all these words kind of get thrown into the mix, and often in our English translations, we don't necessarily detect you know any differences between them because it just gets called wilderness. There isn't actually a word in Hebrew for wilderness as such. Um, but certainly let's exclude, you know, kind of lush, <laughs> dense forest with all the animals and all the water that you could ever drink. Um, and and think rather just sort of desolate land, a land that is is without people, without a lot of animals without a lot of plants, certainly without a lot of water and resources, you know, to, to, to live by. And so it's that kind of place, right, that, that Israel is forced to endure for those 40 years. And whenever we hear about people being essentially in exile from the opposite of that, right, which is, you know, we've spoken before about the, the waters of life, about, um, you know, mountains even and and the place in you know, the, the the ultimate place where god dwells with us is depicted as a kind of garden on a mountain from which streams flow which is filled with fruit and and life and resources and everything so 
wilderness is kind of its polar opposite in terms of metaphors. It's that place where the water doesn't flow, the fruit is not abundant, and and it's it's a kind of hard life. It's it's a life that you can only uh, live with with a great amount of effort and a constant attention and ultimately, as the scriptures tell us, to survive that is to become utterly dependent on God himself. And so hence, Israelites, you know, learning even to find the grace of manna in the desert, right? And it itself, you know, though it's this abundant food that God gives on a daily basis, it's only for the day, right? If you try to keep it, it perishes, right? So it's it's this constant constant emphasis on dependence on contingency on on trusting in, in god that's what you have to think of in terms of wilderness rather than the, the kind of canadian um, forests and so forth if you haven't yet become a patron of enacting the kingdom over on patreon you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to when you become a patron for as little as three dollars a month you'll get immediate access to over 100 patreon exclusive episodes weekly new releases private live streams and patreon community events like bible studies and as we're social media free patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes go to patreon.com enacting the kingdom to join the growing community i'm going to give a example of a, a tool in your Bible reading tool belt that I think people should have when the when the setting of wilderness comes up in your Bible reading, what's something you should be thinking about? And, and I'm going to present something, Father Jeffrey, and I'd like you to comment on on what I say, you know, agree with it or disagree with it or, or adjust it as, as needed. Um, so when I read, you know, the wilderness, right, or the desert place or, or whatever it might be in the scriptures, and especially if people go into it, you know, my I think something like this. Oh, no, <laughs> they are going to be tested, right? Yeah. They are going to be brought into a situation in which God is going to present them an opportunity to conquer or an opportunity to remain faithful. And there are stories of successes and failures in that context, right? So when Israel goes into the desert, there's actually multiple stories of tests, right? And I, you know, I don't think we should be thinking of God as sort of putting up, you know, mouse mazes on top of the Israelites just for fun, right? Um, but the acknowledgement that to be a human being and alive means that you will be in times of wilderness and that there will be tests which are um, not meant to trip you up. They are meant to challenge you into uh, perhaps conquering that test or remaining faithful during that test. Um, you know, yeah, maybe I'll just leave it there, Father. But th that idea of, you know, if, if, you know, dear listener, when you're reading the Bible and the theme or the, the setting of wilderness comes up to think, uh oh, there's going to be a test here. Let's see how the characters handle that test. Well, that's precisely right. And, and this is what Moses tells the people of Israel in, you know, that long series of speeches in Deuteronomy as he's coming to the end of his ministry and of his life in Deuteronomy chapter eight, um, Moses to the people of Israel, remember the long way that the Lord, your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, 
with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The clothes on your back did not wear out, your feet did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land flowing with streams, with springs, underground water. So it's, he's bringing them into a place that is not wilderness, right? But the time of wilderness is precisely what you just said, right? It's a, a time of humbling, right? And, and humbling, remember, is not about, you know, casting down and, and, and you know, putting one's face in the muck, you know, and, and, and making one feel really, really bad. It's about reminding people of where their proper place is. The proper order of things is that God is God and we are not, right? And so sometimes human beings, uh, let's say often human beings aspire beyond our station to, to being God. We want life on our own terms. We want wisdom on our own terms. We want everything that the world can offer on our own terms. And that's ultimately a kind of idolatry because it means putting something else, namely ourselves, in the place of God. And so the humbling is about returning to the earth, returning to the, the humus, right? Which is what the, the boat is the, connected with both the word human and the word humility, right? So the ground from which we came is the ground on which we stand, but that ground is a dependent ground. It's a contingent one. We, we, we need to trust in God for life and wisdom and all the goodness, you know, of the world. And so God humbles us and, you know, through hunger, through through thirst, through 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 the need for the things that he can provide, and to to pass that test is not a as you say it's not a matter of kind of well that arbitrary maze or that arbitrary test that we were put to you know we pass that you get good marks and you move on no it's about moving to a place of full humanity because full humanity is a humanity that that is fully trusting in God himself, and therefore capable of a full relationship with God. Because that's what God knows for us. You know, and it, it, this Moses even talks about, you know, as a parent disciplines a child, the parent knows, you know, the good parent knows what is good for the child and does things in order for that child to flourish, to, to prosper, to, to grow up into a full human being. Well, that's what God is doing with us. This isn't arbitrary testing. It's not some sort of cruel, you know, cosmic joke being played on us or anything. It, this is about a kind of test that leads to a result. And that result is full humanity that is fully dependent and trusting in God and therefore fully capable of a relationship with God and of God's grace. And that's ultimately what you know, human beings were called to in the first place. Remember that in the garden itself were tests, right? The test of a tree of, 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 of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you could say this was about, you know, the fullness of life and the fullness of wisdom, both of which God intends for his people. But would we have those on our own terms or would we take them uh, or would we take them from God as he gives them ultimately? And human beings failed that test, ended up in exile in the wilderness, right? And so again and again, God calls us back to follow his way, follow his commandments, to, to put our trust in him. And you, you mentioned you know, the multiple tests in that 40-year period, um, 
in the wilderness, if you're reading through the book of, of Numbers, which interestingly, it's called Numbers in English in the translation, right? Uh, because of the census at the beginning of it. But in, in the Hebrew, it, it has the name Midbar, I mentioned, and that's the word for, for wilderness. <laughs> um, so uh, it's the book of the wilderness. And there are like, again, and again, and again, you know, the people are, are, are tested and, and fail and have to return. And even Moses himself, ultimately fails and is, is is going to be denied the opportunity to lead the people into the, the promised land. And so it this testing is crucial for our development, ultimately. And it's, it's a good thing. Um, you know, the often the same word, and maybe we'll get to this maybe when we talk about, you know, Jesus himself in, in the wilderness, but the it's can sometimes be translated as temptation and and that's bad in English in the sense that we often think of temptation is only to evil right if i if i don't often tempt you you know with something that's for your benefit um although you, you theoretically you could but it, just the way it is used normally in in English we think of temptation to the bad thing to the to the evil outcome and everything so so don't think of these as tests where god is trying to trip people up no these are tests that have genuinely life and death good and evil as the p potential outcomes. There's something else that Moses says to the people of Israel. I've set before you life and death, therefore choose life. So the testing is an honest and genuine, authentic test that has, you know, a, this real potential of full humanity as its outcome. And that's what the desert is about. That's what the wilderness is about. That's what learning to become completely, utterly dependent upon um, God is all about, that that no matter what the danger, uh, no matter what the scarcity, no matter what the needs are, God is the answer to to all of that, right? So we, we need to learn to become utterly dependent on God, not on our own appetites and desire to to kind of fulfill those or any of our own the desires of our hearts that that we align ourselves with the will of god with the law of god with his torah which is you know what moses has said there in, in deuteronomy that this is why you were brought here this is why you went through this and therefore follow the ways of the lord all the days of your life if you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. This is why the story of Christ's testing in the desert is really important, right? At the beginning of the gospel accounts where this happens, Jesus is baptized, he's brought up, and then he's, you know, is it the gospel of Mark that says he's driven into the wilderness by the spirit? Mm -hmm. um, and he goes into the wilderness. And if you're a Bible reader and you go, uh oh, here's a character going into the wilderness, <laughs> like, uh oh, what's going to happen? Usually this hasn't turned out well for those people. You know, they have they've failed tests in various ways. But then, you know, Jesus does. He's, he succeeds. He remains faithful amidst those three tailor made uh, temptations for the Messiah. He remains faithful in them. And in that shows that he is sort of that ultimate Israelite, really. Well, yeah. And, you know, if you're following closely the, the gospel, you know, none of this is a surprise, right? Because um, the the one whom God has called his son, right, is delivered from Egypt, goes through the waters and 
you know, God declares him to be his son and that he will guide him. You immediately, if you know the scriptures, you know what's going to happen next, that there's going to be a time of wilderness and of, of testing, right? And so beginning of chapter four of Matthew, then Jesus was led by the spirit. He softens the, the driven from Mark, right? Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And you don't even need him to finish the sentence to be tested, you know, by, by the devil or by the, the Satan, um, uh, you know, which is, I mean, that's a whole story in itself as to, you know, the role that the, 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 the Satan or the devil plays, um, you know, it's not necessarily the, the full on medieval, you know, uh, evil figure often of, in the, in the scriptures, part of God's mechanism of testing is this accuser, right? That the one who is the, um, the, the kind of, it's almost like the, the crown prosecutor, you know, in, in a case, right? I'm going to try to find something wrong here and, and put you, you know, to, to the test and, and so forth. And he's the figure that kind of, kind of leads up. But I say, you don't even need that to be tested, to be added, because he's come through the waters, delivered out of the bondage uh, of Egypt. And, you know, of course, it goes into the wilderness like Israel to be tested. But, you know, as you say, this is the undoing of Israel's failure to to pass those tests and um it's, it's it's especially helpful for us as christians to kind of start here and then go back and read something like the book of numbers right which is very complex has a lot of these stories and back and forth and everything because what matthew and the other gospel writers do is kind of organize the the tests into this package of three right and and they kind of fundamentally represent the same things that israel was tested with but you know here it's a lot more kind of compact and and um you know the narrative is 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 quick and it's very organized here and everything so so Jesus himself is tested but pass passes the test right and how does he pass the test interestingly right so you take the first one the the tempter the tester came to him and said um if you're the son of god command these stones to become loaves of bread so of course it's about hunger right it's about fulfilling, um, you know, earthly appetites and so forth, which could be seen to be a kind of forgivable, forgivable, you know, sin, except that you remember how often, you know, God called Israel to, to depend upon him and not to, to seek their own way to fulfill those appetites. Right. And how does Jesus answer? He quotes directly from what I just quoted from Deuteronomy eight, right? Um, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Moses told Israel, right? In the wilderness. And so it's not that, you know, God will not look after our physical needs, but we need to get those things in the right sequence. And this anticipates, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, right? About, you know, why are you anxious for what you eat or what you drink or what you put on? You know, don't you know that God cares for you? If you put these things in the right sequence, if you trust in God, if you love God, and if you accept that open, invitation that God has to relationship, then all these things will, you know, can be looked after, right? But if you go off and you try to have these things on your own terms, you leave no room for that relationship. And so it's about prioritizing things in life. It's about putting the kingdom of God first, right? And then all other things kind of coming into, into play. The, the tempter, the tester then takes him to the holy city, places him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, the same formula, throw yourself down for it's written. And he quotes 
from the Psalms. He will command his angels concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Notice that's all true, right? <laughs> right. That, that much is true, but that's not said as a, you know, therefore go out and live your life recklessly because, you know, God will just look after you. That's putting God to the test, which is, of course, what Israel had done again and again in the wilderness, right? They themselves were trying to test God by the way that they were living and turning, you know, their backs for, on them. And so Jesus, again, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He knows, right, that God does care. And God will allow his angels to to look after us. But we need to put God first and not put him, you know, to the test. And then the third one, of course, is to a very high mountain. The, the tester, the devil, shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus answers, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Right? So this is the first and commandment that is given to, to Moses at Sinai, at the edge of the wilderness, where God demands utter loyalty, utter trust from his people, right? That we don't seek after the things of this world, that we don't put anything else, you know, in his place. So all of the things that Israel were, of course, tempted to do, remember at the very foot of that mountain, they had gone after other gods, right? It's the very first thing that they broke as Moses brings down the commandments. He finds they built a golden calf. They think they're worshiping God, but they're doing it according to the way of the kingdoms of the world. So everything that we find in the Israel story is, is being undone here and and fulfilled perfectly in the human being who is able finally to offer this perfect trust in God. That's the image that we're being given of who, of who Jesus is. He's that human being who finally has done what God asked all human beings to do all along and repeatedly cajoled human beings to do, which is to just love and trust him, right, above all else. And that all will go well for us if we do that. And that's what this, this compact narrative here of the, the testing of Jesus in the wilderness is all about. And we get a chance to embody this pattern every year in Great Lent, don't we? The, the, you know, the Israel going into the desert, Christ going into the, that wilderness place. We, like the church consciously puts these images before us in the time of Great Lent, you know, whether it's the four Sundays leading up to Lent where we begin singing that psalm uh, of exile by the waters of Babylon, right? Uh, and, and then we actually purposely, you know, deprive ourselves of, of, let's say, kind of regular comforts, not because those comforts are bad, but because we are embodying this pattern of going into the wilderness. And it's a time of testing, uh, not to trip us up, but to give us an opportunity to grow, to give us an opportunity to remain faithful, despite the uh, perhaps suffering that we're going through in the midst of Great Lent. Um, yeah, we get to we get to enter that pattern, don't we? That's exactly right. And again, this is something that you know it's so easily misunderstood. I suppose you know, particularly for uh, moderns who you know. We've come to really depend upon our comforts, on our modern lifestyle, a very technological society, very complex society, and and so forth. I mean, we're a million miles away from wilderness, right? And I mean, hence that original 
anecdote I told you about somebody says, yeah, I'd love to get out to the wilderness, you know, uh, which is not the Israelite, you know, kind of way of thinking about it, right? Um, but, you know, for us, you know, the, the Lent kind of doesn't make sense on, on so many levels. And it's really important that we grasp hold of what this testing is all about, right? That, that we need these moments of testing, these times of testing in order to grow, right? And it's not about trying to prove anything. It's not about measuring up. It's not about ultimately getting a grade on, on how well you know we did, but it's precisely a test that leads to growth, that leads to development, that leads to, to, to better trust and more opportunity for, for relationship and so forth. And it just sprung into my mind that, you know, think of this like doing a driver's test, right? Where the, the outcome of that is you actually get licensed to do more than you could before, right? That it's set up not to, well, I mean, it, it could trip you up, it could take you in, in the wrong direction, could tell you need more development, more growth in order to, to kind of pass this thing. But ultimately, the test is designed to, to, to make you flourish, to make you develop and grow and, and do more than you could before. Well, that's what Lent is for. If we embarked upon that as a time of testing, of learning to rely more upon God, to draw closer to God, to find his grace amidst you know, a little bit of scarcity that we can kind of muster up in the midst of our abundance, right? You know, we've talked about before that, um, you know, we, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us this day our daily bread, whereas, you know, we've got larders and, and refrigerators and freezers full of months and months of food. We could, you know, survive the apocalypse with the amount of food that we already have on hand, let alone daily bread. Well, think of the Israelites in the wilderness. They had daily bread, right? And they couldn't keep it. It was designed to perish, you know, beyond that. If we could return a little bit to that idea that we depend utterly on who God is, that's the kind of testing that is positive. That's the kind of testing that leads to, you know, this, this newer way of living according to the design and purposes of God in creation from the beginning, right? That we live in harmony with him, with each other, with all of creation. And we can only do that if we pass through these times of testing. So Lent is given to us as a mirror of what Jesus experiences in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, which is, of course, the fulfillment of what Israel had been called to do and had not been able to do, you know, fully, only by, you know, kind of sporadic moments here and there of, of trust amidst a lot of rebellion, amidst a lot of exile, amidst a lot of heartache. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.